Welcome to the Scholars and Storytellers podcast, a podcast brought to you by the Center for Scholars and Storytellers at UCLA. This episode, recorded on December 2nd, 2020, is titled Animation Nation, Finding Hope After Loss in Children's Media, with Justinian Huang and Dr. Bridget Callahan, moderated by George Huang, in partnership with CAPE, the Coalition for Asian Pacifics in Entertainment. Justinian Huang is the head of development at Pearl Studio. Dr. Bridget Callahan is an assistant professor of psychology at UCLA. Our moderator, George Huang, is a screenwriter, director, and professor in the School of Theater, Film, and Television at UCLA. Thank you for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy. Welcome, everyone, and thanks for joining us today for Animation Nation, Finding Hope After Loss in Children's Media. I'm Michelle Sugihara, Executive Director of CAPE, the Coalition of Asian Pacifics and Entertainment, where we focus on changing representation from the writer's room to the boardroom, ultimately affecting what you watch in your living room. 2020 has been a challenging year in so many ways, but it has also heightened the resiliency and generosity of the human spirit. As the world turned to media for solace, for education, and for entertainment, perhaps for the first time in such a concentrated way, we are reminded of the power and responsibility of media. Research has shown that storytelling can actually change the brain, which is why we are so excited to partner with the Center for Scholars and Storytellers and Pearl Studio, the powerhouse behind the animated hits Abominable and Over the Moon for today's program. It's my pleasure to introduce Dr. Yalda T. Uls, the founding director of the Center for Scholars and Storytellers. Welcome, Dr. Uls. Thank you so much. And thank you for adding my T, Yalda T. Uls. <laughs> I appreciate that. Um, we are so honored and pleased to partner with you. Um, and we are very, very excited to present this show. Um, just a brief about Center for Scholars and Storytellers. We are based at UCLA and we bridge the world of academia with uh, scholars and content creators. Um, we're very invested in um, many of the conversations that we'll be having today. I was just um, saying one of our top uh, blog posts that's research oriented, but also very a personal story is about representation in Asian media. Um, and I'll we'll drop that in the chat in the um, in the Facebook Live, and we also have um, a COVID tip sheet we just released that's targeted to talking about these kind of topics in content um, to kids. So we are um, really really pleased to have this incredible opportunity to partner with Cape, to partner with Pearl Studios. Wow, what a powerhouse! And to partner with. Um, George Wang, who I will introduce in one minute, and also Dr. Bridget Callahan, who is a wonderful um, uh, professor at UCLA in the child development department. So George Wang is, um, I'm, it's my pleasure to, to introduce George Wang, who um, is a professor at UCLA Film School. He's also a collaborator of the Center for Scholars and Storytellers. And George and I both started our careers out at Sony. He was an assistant, I was a creative executive. And he went off to um, do movies and I went off to be an executive. Um, and then somehow we both magically ended back at UCLA. So take it away, George. <laughs> Thanks for having me, Alda. Um, yeah, it's sort of, we can't shake that sort of assistant executive uh, relationship. She told me to be here. I said, yes, sir. 
Um, but anyways, uh, no, it is a distinct pleasure to be here, uh, being a member of CAPE and both a contributor to Center for Scholars and Storytellers. Um, yeah, I, I'm really proud to be here, even though, uh, uh, Michelle, I'm afraid uh, my dues may have lapsed, so I will cut you a check after this is all over. But welcome tonight to Animation Nation, where we will be discussing finding hope after loss in children's media. And tonight we have two, uh, you know, really great guest speakers who are going to be talking to us uh, about that. First up is Dr. Bridget Callahan, who is an assistant professor of psychology at UCLA, and she studies how early life experiences uh, can influence interactions between mental and physical health across development. Uh, also joining us tonight is Justinian Huang, head of development at Pearl Studios. And at Pearl, uh, Justinian leads a team that oversaw the historic co-production of not only Kung Fu Panda 3, uh, but of last year's holiday hit, Abominable, and also the most recent Netflix hit, uh, Over the Moon. Uh, so welcome, Justinian. Welcome, Dr. Callahan. Um, uh, let's start with you, Dr. Callahan. Why don't you yeah. tell us your story? Tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into uh, psychology and particularly the field of psychology with you know, child development. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so firstly, thanks for having me. This is a, a really uh, fun opportunity. Yeah. Um, I've been in psychology for you know many, many years now. Um, I started off my career really trying to look at child development in and all of its complexity. And so I've been really interested in trying to understand how parent-child relationships in particular and the types of experiences that children have early in life, particularly tough and difficult experiences, how they influence children's functioning across the lifespan. So I work with kids from you know two years of age all the way to 18 years of age and their parents. And um, I'm really happy to be here tonight to talk about really these incredibly important issues, which is, you know, child functioning at the moment and particularly in the time of, of COVID. So thanks for having me. Well, thanks for being here. Okay, uh, let's turn to you, Justinian. Uh, so yeah, how'd you get involved in movie making, entertainment business, you know? What's a nice Chinese boy like you doing in a business like this? So I actually wanted to be a doctor for most of my life, but um, O-Chem classes were at 7 a.m. in college, so. <laughs> decided not to do it anymore no actually i ever since i was a kid i wanted to work in movies always 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 it's true like i i like my i, I was i was a huge wong kar wai freak when i was a kid i just thought i just wanted to direct you know the next in the mood for love all of that stuff um and you know like to be honest like a lot of people including my um including you know friends and family they told me oh but why would you do that because hollywood traditionally isn't open to people of Asian descent. So um, I didn't really listen to that. And I just started uh, ditching classes in college and uh, um, and worked for uh, Linda Oakes, a great producer, legendary. She uh, she produced Interstellar and, you know, um, through the uh, through a lot of hard work, you know, I had a very old school um, upbringing, basically, in Hollywood. Had coffee thrown at me a few times. It's all good. So, yeah. and uh, and I was Artists. in uh, Shanghai. <laughs> I'm joking. Not really. Well, we can, we can um, make <laughs> about grief and loss and, yeah, any uh, trauma. Exactly. Right? <laughs> yeah. So much trauma. Um, I was in uh, Shanghai on vacation um, six years ago. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, uh, just through mutual friends, someone reached out to me, asked me to have coffee. The person ended up being Joe Aguilar, who was head of 
um, what used to be called um, Oriental DreamWorks, very problematic name. Um, and he, after we had coffee, he said, you should join. And I, I started working there as a creative exec. And um, yeah, um, now I'm head of development, which is crazy. So it's, right. it's, been, it's been an interesting six years for sure, definitely. Nice, that's great. Yeah. So. All right. Well, let's start talking about uh, grief and loss in children's media. So, uh, Bridget, you know, you study, you know, a lot of the interaction between life experiences and mental health you know, during child development. You know, so given everything that's going on right now, you know, with COVID, the pandemic, um, do you, what do you think the long term and short term effects are going to be on on kids? And yeah, because I've got a five and seven year old upstairs, and I. Yeah. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, I, I do not know what to do. So, <laughs> you know. Well, firstly, George, do not worry. I think, you okay. know, this is new territory for everyone and, and no one knows what to do at the moment. It's a really uh, tough period of time. Um, so, it's you know, it's tough for kids. It's tough for parents as well. And it's tough, therefore, for the entire family unit. Um, so in terms of the you know short-term and, and long-term consequences, we know a little about the short-term consequences because you know we've all been living um, in, in COVID for a long time now, unfortunately. I remember when it started off, I thought that it would only be two weeks and then maybe only six weeks, and now we're you know more than six months into this um, this crazy period of life. So um, we've done a little bit of work in, in my lab looking at some of the short-term consequences of COVID for family units, and one of my favorite studies that we've done so far is to actually just ask families to tell us in their own words how they're experiencing COVID. Now, this is not something, you know, I call myself um, a quantitative um, psychologist, which means I like to give surveys and get back like numbers. Um, so this was a really interesting new endeavor for me to actually, um, you know, work with written passages of information, but it was so rich and I really loved hearing about all of the different experiences that parents and children were having. And you know, a lot of it was really tough. Like kids were really struggling. Kids are really struggling at the moment. One of the things that kids said that they were struggling the most with was, um, you know, not being at school. And so not having those school social relationships. They weren't missing their math class so much, but they were definitely missing those <laughs> school social relationships. And then for parents, you know, it's a struggle for those parents who are lucky enough to have maintained their job and to be working from home. You know, it's a struggle of trying to work and parent from home and the stresses that are associated uh, with that. So we know there are short-term consequences. Unfortunately, now we don't know too much about the long-term consequences. Um, and that's something that we'll have to explore as, as time goes on. Mm -hmm. now, yeah. yeah, now, you know, given the headlines and everything, you know, the, the tragic deaths that are going on, you know, there have been, you know, um, uh, a parent of uh, one of my, my son's classmates just passed away recently. So, you know, it's difficult, and, you know, especially at this age, how honest should we be as parents when discussing the reality of this pandemic and, you know, the reality of some of the traumas that are happening right now around the world, you know, yeah. how we have, you know, a, a just, a, you know, a healthy discussion about these issues without, you know, thinking, oh my God, I'm just scarring my children even more. Yeah. It's a really important question and I think, you know, one of the things we need to do as parents is not be afraid of having those conversations because, you know, if your children are facing these, these 
events, which they absolutely are, we're all living through this together, they're going to have feelings about it. And whether we talk about it or not, those feelings aren't going to go away. Um, only through talking and discussing are we going to help our children to kind of resolve these feelings that they're having. So the first thing I would say is to definitely not shy away from conversations about COVID with children. And the first thing I would do is to just open up a really simple dialogue to try and understand what it is that your children are taking away from this experience. So what are their perceptions of COVID? What are their misperceptions of COVID? What are they afraid of? And you know, within that, we might find that children are potentially making some having some ideas that are not supported, that are not, you know, things that we can help them to correct. So misinformation that we can help correct. Um, so there's many things that we can do beyond that. So like once we open up that conversation, once we're kind of um, correcting their understanding of things, we can then give them some concrete ways of moving forward so we can firstly validate their feelings. So, you know, if they think that half the world is going to die, that's a really scary, that's a really scary thing. So we can validate that and then we can help correct that and mm. provide reassurance. So reassurance coming from parents is really, really important. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So saying things, you know, like there are lots of adults who are working really hard all the time to try and get us a vaccine. There's a vaccine on the horizon. Um, mm. Those are important messages for children to hear from their parents. So, yeah, I think parents really need to recognise what important, powerful emotion buffers they are for children. It can be mm -hmm. really important. So my approach of just basically, you know, slamming off the TV whenever the news is on with like, you know, uh, is, is not the right strategy is what you're telling me. So I mean... <laughs> <laughs> Children need to be presented the information um, in in ways that's appropriate for their age and stage of development. So, you know, um, it's possible that they shouldn't hear the information from the news, but they're definitely going to hear it from different places. So telling them the information in a way that you know, you're their parent, you know them best, a way that you know that they'll understand it. So using metaphor, for example, using, you know, for younger children who are who are not as abstract and can't represent things as well through talk and, and dialogue, you know, engaging with them through play and, and those sorts of things to help them explore those feelings in a in a constructive, actual concrete way. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Um so if you're just joining us, uh welcome to the live stream of Animation Nation, uh, we're discussing finding hope uh, after a uh, loss in uh, children's media. Uh, we're gonna turn now to Justinian and um, let's talk about some of the work you do at Pearl. So, you know, sure. given, you know, the world around us and, you know, all the trauma that's going on, you know, how mm -hmm. do you creatively, you know, account for a lot of these issues when you're developing films uh, for children? Well, you know, before I started at uh, Pearl, um, I was, I never had worked in quote unquote children's media before. Um, and uh, when I started, you know, developing stuff, I, I didn't really change the way I developed things. I, I don't, I don't think just because you're talking to an audience that is potentially younger than, you know, the audiences that I used to, uh, to directly make uh develop stuff or i don't think that you should talk down to children and i think that you you can talk to them like they are complex emotional people as much as i would be telling a story to someone my own age so i i think that that 
I think that when you look at the slate that I've been working on, that my team has been working on, we, you know, um, uh, you know, obviously we touch on the loss of parents with both Abominable and with Over the Moon, but we also touch on stuff that's that is um, complex and difficult. You know, we we talk on we touch on bullying, we touch on gender identity. Some of our projects, you know, like it's. It, I think it's just. First of all, I think that. I think that to be a good development executive, you just need to be incredibly aware of the world around you. And um, you need to, and when it, when you're talking to, one thing that, one thing that creating movies that are geared towards kids uh, actually has that other forms of media don't have is that you are sort of given this, um, you sort of have this obligation to impart messages that potentially can help this generation this young generation grow up to be um better global citizens in a way you know um uh so you know when we when me and my team when we sit and we talk about ideas for sure we obviously want to make content that's fun and you know inspiring and empowering and all of those things but we're also thinking about hey like what what how what sort of images what sort of ideas what sort of messages do we wish we'd gotten when we were kids you know um i think about you know i i think about for instance you know like um a, a personal note for uh, on uh, for abominable there is a character in that movie his name is jin he's um he's a, he's a young man he plays opposite Yi, and he's sort of like they sort of this like very funny back and forth um, he was very, we, we took our time formulating him because, you know, Asian American men in media are often portrayed in a certain way. Like we're, we're nerds, you know, and like, you know, or whatever, I don't need to go into all of that, but we wanted to portray something that was more true to what we see when we look at our nephews and our, you know, and also Asian men in other countries and also Asian men within our country. So we formulated him to be this very suave sort of debonair. He's still really smart, but he's, but he's not, a, he's, he's not, he, you know, he, he's not a nerd pushing up his glasses all the time, you know, and he's, he's, he's actually kind of an arrogant asshole. So we, we sort of wanted to, we, it's like it's creating that it, when you're, when you're creating, when, you know, the thing about abominable was that it was the first time that, Chinese teenagers were put on the world stage in animations. So we very much carefully thought about how we wanted to, you know, how we wanted to, you know, like uh, formulate them. So that's just one example, you know, of how we sort of like, we sort of apply what we see in the world into the characters and stories we develop. That's great. Um, so Bridget, so, you know, with your research and, you know, with your working um, in, in your studies, you know, is can you use storytelling as a tool? How effective is this as a tool when working with young children? Like you know, you said, well, as a parent, you should just be honest, open with them. But you know, presenting the you know the truth as in the frame of a story does that help? You know, get the point across. You know, what advice would you have on that front? Yeah. You know, are there things we should avoid? You know. <laughs> Um, I only have things that you can do um, and, you know, yeah, <laughs> I think parents worry enough about what they shouldn't be doing that we should just 
focus on telling them the, the many wonderful things they can and, and probably are. Um, I mean, I'll start by saying, um, you know, just hearing Justinian talk about the process that um, you will take it at Pearl um, is really interesting and inspiring. And I know for myself, when I watched Abominable and when I watched Over the Moon, I was really taken aback by how beautifully the psychological constructs of, um, you know, loss and and resilience and recovery were explored in those movies. I was definitely in tears for Over the Moon. Um, by the end, I think it's just such a beautiful film. Um, so yeah, I think, you know, I, I love that that seems based on what Justinian just said, it seems to have happened spontaneously or through these amazing conversations that you've all had. So you clearly have such um, a keen eye for the, for the world. It's, it was really nice to see. Um, so in terms of like the storytelling and um, and parents and children, absolutely. Like story is such a wonderful way of, of children learning about things and, and children love story and they love film. And, you know, you'll notice that children watch films again and again and again, the same film over and over again, because they get so much more yeah. from the story each and every time. Like you really grow up kind of learning through through story and, and most of the story is presented in film these days. So I would really strongly encourage families to, to use story to explore these difficult concepts with children. So, you know, you can take a, an approach where you incorporate that in many different ways. So if, if something has happened recently where, you know, there's been a death in the family, God forbid, or some other tragedy, you know, spe speaking very plainly to children about it so not not hiding it not trying to protect them from you know the harsh realities of life but to try and present it to them in a way that's understandable to them and then kind of following that up with with media in different formats so either story through book or story through uh you know film and 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 other media is a really nice way of them to to just kind of think through the ideas in a variety of different ways and to see how the characters themselves are, are kind of adapting to their own life circumstances and children can learn through through seeing other people do things. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, yeah, when I was watching The Over Moon uh, with my kids, you know, and it, it is such a profoundly, you know, it's a story of grief. Um, but yeah, to try to explain to the kids the, and I can't believe you put this in the movie, just any of you, the unbreakable mm -hmm. chasm of sadness. It's like, oh my God, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you know for that, but again, yeah. it's yeah. a very profound way to express to my kids, like, it's okay to be sad, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's, um, it's very it's 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 strange how the universe works that this movie came out during 2020 because you know like you know like like all films we didn't set out obviously we didn't know what's going to happen in 2020 and we also um you know like uh, to give you a little background about that movie um so janet yang it was very traditional the way it, it all came about janet yang came to um our studio in shanghai and she pitched this beautiful story about um a, a girl who flies to the moon to meet this moon goddess, right? Mm -hmm. And um, we, 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 we took it out to writers and um, we, we ended up uh, going with um, Audrey Wells, who, who, the late Audrey Wells, who was a very dear friend of mine. And, um, you know, she pitched this beautiful take on it because the question was, why does this little girl? fly to the moon like what would compel her to do that you know and 
Um, when Audrey said that it was because her mother who passed away used to tell her this story about the moon goddess and she associates with it and which then makes the whole movie this metaphor about the stages of grief after you know losing someone um it was it was very you know i, I when i read the script for the like the, i read that first draft and i cried because it was one of the most beautiful things that i've ever read and i i read scripts every day you know um the thing about it is that you know i i feel like the reason why it's really affected a lot of people um, is because the emotions behind it are very genuine. When Audrey was writing this, um, she she was dying of cancer, and it was a love letter to her daughter. You know, to 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 tell her daughter, you know, um, you know to find love after she passes. You know, and mm -hmm. I, I feel like that rings very true. You know, so mm -hmm. yeah, it's it's those those emotions are real. You know, definitely. Yeah. So like it, it was very there was a poetry to it that it came out mm -hmm. this year when so many of us. And some of the people we care about are, are, are have lost people that, that we love and are also scared of that reality as well. Yeah. Yeah. Now, yeah, again, it's it's one of the more, you know, it's that that image of, you know, uh is it you, the the you know, the lead girl just curled up in the ball, vastness mm -hmm. of like black space. It, yeah, it's yeah. More, more haunting yeah. kind of images that I've seen this year on film. It really mm -hmm. is. So yeah. Thank you. Hi, listeners. We hope that you were enjoying this episode of the Scholars and Storytellers podcast. The Center for Scholars and Storytellers is an organization dedicated to bridging the gap between scholars and storytellers to promote positive youth development. Are you interested in learning more about the other projects we are working on? Check out our website at scholarsandstorytellers.com and find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram by searching Center for Scholars and Storytellers. Now, Back to the conversation. Here's a question. Um, so you've done two movies now where you've got a significant a parent who dies. Is this going yes. to be you? Um, <laughs> so yes, we're we're calling we're rebranding ourselves the Dead Parent Society. Okay, <laughs> no, no. Um, I, that was just that that was that 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 wasn't it wasn't planned that that would just happen that way. You know, it's interesting. It is a trope um, that, you know, and you, you look at all the classic Disney movies right. that, you know, kids, uh, we, we have kids who lost one parent or orphans and all of that. And I, I feel like the reason why that's such a common trope is because that is that is some that is something that a lot of kids. Oh, that's something that development execs to get inside baseball. Valley. That's something that we're like, oh, those are stakes that kids can definitely understand. Right, like, oh, what if mom or dad don't come home? You know, not home. Mm -hmm. So it's it's uh, it's it's definitely it, we did not mean to, for that to happen that way. And by the way, the slate has no more, no more, no more recent, no more past there. <laughs> no, there's so much more to talk about, honestly. And like, you know, like I, I'm more fat. I'm very fascinated by the issues of identity, the issues of bullying, the issues of you know, like um displacement the issues of the other like like these are all like like they're, they're it's these are all things that kids deal with every day in a very profound way you know so there's there's more to come yes uh, maybe slightly different subject matters <laughs> to follow up on what justinian said i think you're you're so right though that these those are um 
those are stakes that children really understand. Um, and that's why it's a trope. That's why there are so many different movies on this topic. And even for children who haven't experienced loss themselves, they think about it. Like children think about what it would be like to not have their parents because their parents are so critically important for their entire lives they're so important um so it's you know it's maybe not going to be the entire um catalogue of films there but they're such important films to have for sure because <laughs> children need to think about it and to explore those emotions gotcha. yeah i mean yeah again i think it is again like you, you said just saying there's a long history whether we go back to grandma's fairy tales you know to mm -hmm. yeah any pixar movie ever made yeah it's always sort of the the sudden tragic death of a parent. So, mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so just out of curiosity, Bridget, because, you know, I know your study really focuses on sort of, you know, physical symptoms exhibiting from, you know, these sort of mental traumas and stuff. Yeah. Uh, should I be looking for anything particularly in my boys that, that <laughs> are red flags? I mean, I'm just, I'm honestly curious. And as a writer, yeah, you know, because we're always looking for things that are actable motions, that yeah. are actual externalizations mm -hmm. of sort of like, you know, uh, internal, you know, strife and conflict yeah what are some examples you know some things yeah. we're looking for as parents and some things we could use as storytellers <laughs> <laughs> so um you know i'm really really interested in this question of how do our um you know yeah exactly our internal emotions get expressed kind of physically and kind of come out in that way which is a very common thing to, ha to happen in childhood so one of the things i'm really interested in are gastrointestinal symptoms and and poop in particular so i'm not entirely sure that you want to feature that in <laughs> i don't know kids love poop right justinian <laughs> Yes, fart jokes. If you yes. if it's starting to feel a little serious, insert a fart joke. Very yeah, true. <laughs> exactly. For some reason, I just vary into into those body functions, which is great. That's what I that's what I study. <laughs> we, have, um, <laughs> we have a study where we collect poop from children and we we phrase it as the as the poop fairy study so we have a, oh. a poop fairy who flies over to their house and and um and collects their poop in the nighttime um, that they left under their pillow hopefully they don't put it under their pillow that'd be gross <laughs> We're hoping they don't do that. <laughs> uh, we won't get any more families across. Yeah, but again, I'm not talking about my kids. But if they did, if they did? something I should worry about, should yeah, I? I would, I'd be worried about that one in particular. <laughs> yeah. So can you elaborate on poop setting? Because yeah, now I'm fascinated. So what is for the poop that you know that um that you know again, like you said, is you know um externalizing or exhibiting these sort of like internal uh you know conflicts yeah so i mean gastrointestinal symptoms are one set of symptoms that lots of children experience so these kind of unexplainable stomach aches and pains are a really common thing that parents hear from their children so you know sore tummy or a funny feeling in the tummy um and they're a really common actually a really common uh, reason for children to present at like the primary health care physician so just these chronic abdominal kind of issues mm -hmm. um and, you know, in adults, we know that there's a really strong association between anxiety and gastrointestinal issues. Right. And so there's lots and lots of studies from, you know, many, many decades looking at that association. So in my lab, we've been trying to understand how, um, how early in life that manifests and turns out very early. So, you know, lots of children experience anxiety through gastrointestinal symptoms. Wow. 
um, yeah, and one of the things that we're doing is to try and understand some of the mechanisms behind that. So we take stool samples to look at bacteria that lives inside of the inside of the stool, inside of the body, inside of the gut, and to try and understand how that's associated with children's brain development and their emotional functioning. So gastrointestinal are one, but we look at heart rate as well, sweat response. Uh, there are a range of different kind of uh, unusual physical manifestations of anxiety. So I think the most important thing to look for with kids is if the things are unexplainable. If they keep reoccurring and they don't seem to be particularly explained by anything, then it might be a good time to, to start thinking about some emotional issues that might be causing those types of symptoms. Okay. Yeah. Wow. All right. So, so the poop. Yeah. yeah, so Justinian, let me tell you. Poop yes. theory. Yeah, I know. <laughs> hey, don't tell anybody. Okay, yeah, so a uh, kid wants to make a lot of money uh, to, uh, yeah. <laughs> exactly. That's interesting. Like, I, I, I had GERD growing up, and um, I, I would get heartburn all the time, and it, it really did psychologically affect me for a long time. That's very interesting. And I never really thought about the psychological effects on it. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And it can sometimes be that the, psycho that the psychological effects cause the symptoms. Um, it mm. like they may be the, the chicken and then, you know, what's the right. chicken, what's hard to determine. But certainly once those symptoms are in place, so if people have GERD, if people have irritable bowel syndrome right. or whatever, then, then stress and psychological turmoil can really exacerbate them. We were mm. seeing a lot of guys talk about that happening to their children during COVID as well. Wow. Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I think, well, let's open up some questions uh, <laughs> from our audience. So first question uh for kids who have not personally dealt with grief or the loss of a loved one in their life yet how can we use these projects to build empathy yeah that's great um i guess i'll dive in and say that you know back to what i was saying earlier even if children haven't experienced loss or grief they mm -hmm. still, it's, some, it's an emotion that they've explored children are very fearful of losing their parents children come into their parents bedroom in the nighttime children go through phases where they follow their parents around the house and they're asking them what they're doing all the time um, and sometimes that can be you know there's a, a variance in, in terms of how you know normal that is or, or how much that is reflecting some really true underlying psychological pain um, but certainly these issues are there for children whether they've experienced grief or loss or not so I think it's really important to use use films like these to explore those issues with children and mm. to then yeah, connect it to to children and events that that these children have had in their lives. So maybe it's their friend has lost a parent, or you know, maybe they've lost a grandparent. Mm. That you know, more common for them, I suppose, or even the loss of a pet. So these yeah. are the that's huge. Things. Yeah, yeah. And I, I would say, you know, like, I, I think it's okay to nudge them and give them a framework um, mm -hmm. after they've been, I would say do it probably the second or third viewing. <laughs> since kids <laughs> <lost the call. laughs> Here's a workbook. No, um, uh, you know, I, I think about, um, so I, you know, I, I don't have, I don't have kids. Um, I don't have kids yet. My parents might try to, you know, try to make it happen at some point, but um, I, uh, I, you know, I, I have a niece who is like my surrogate little munchkin and I'm obsessed with her. And, um, you know, uh, about the third or fourth viewing of Moana, I was saying to her, I was like, Don't, isn't it great how 
Moana doesn't need a man. There isn't a, a man to rescue her and that there isn't a romantic love interest or any of that, you know? And, you know, like I just, I just sort of was nudging her in that being like, look, this, this young woman was so empowered, you know? And like, she, you know, she kicks ass and she ends up saving the God at the end and everything. She saves the world at the end. And I was like, you don't ever need, you don't ever need anyone, a man to tell you, blah, blah, blah. Right. She might, you know, who knows? She might end up being a lesbian. Who knows? But you know, like you, you get my point. Like it's it's nice to give that for me. I think it's helpful to give that framework to 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 kids, you know, and um, it's and to sort of like like nudge them in that direction. Mm -hmm. Where you're like, hey, these are some of the themes that this movie is trying to say, and yeah, it's 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 um it's a good activity, right? They, it's like watching with purpose. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, here's a question. So in development, just any like you know, how do you balance that against sort of you know the need to entertain, you know the yeah. the gap the jokes, the laughs, like, you know, is there, do you ever think that there's a bridge too far, a line that, okay, no, no, that's too much. That might when be some infotainment. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know. yeah, there's, you know, I, you know, I, I think that, I think that, that that line is just something that, you know, development executives, at least, you know, like ones that hopefully know what they're doing, we can straddle that line, you know, because I, I am very much a big proponent of of um, family entertainment being more than a bunch of loud noises and colors, you know, there's those movies make a lot of money, right. for sure. But right. I, it's not something that I would personally want to make. And you know, like it's, uh, I you know, like I think I think the reason why, despite the fact that I never expected to end up in family entertainment, the reason why I've I've done okay is because um you know today's topic's a little serious but i'm actually just a very immature brat you know so, <laughs> so just like really tapping into that energy whenever i'm developing is very helpful as well yeah it's it, but you know you're right it is a fine line you know you don't want to be finger wagging at anybody like that nobody likes that sort of movie not like not kids not adults mm -hmm. so yeah it's, it's something you just sort of learn it's, there's a little finesse to it for sure yeah so again, you know, using the example of Over the Moon, you know, was there ever any pushback on, oh my God, the unbreakable chasm of sadness is just too sad. Mm -hmm. Can we really go that deep, that dark with I know. Is there ever any discussion about it? Or, or do you all recognize that, you know, children are sophisticated enough as audiences and they need that emotion. They need to, you know, they need to feel that in order to empathize with these characters and what they're going through. You know, was there definitely yeah i i think i think it was definitely the latter and you know like you know just you know and uh, you know just in terms of you know to to take another step back like that movie came at a time when our company really needed it and it all these magical pieces fell together mm -hmm. you know and um a lot of people took a chance on us as you know as as as, as you know the young studio that we are and you know you sometimes you know, making a movie is like rolling a snowball up a volcano. You know, it's just like, you know, like it's it, there's there's just something there's truly something magical about the way that that Over the Moon came about. That I'm still in awe of it, to be honest. You know, uh, so you know, I don't think we questioned it. I think we were just like these emotions are true. These emotions are genuine, and we're gonna go with them. You know, nice. All right, uh, let's take another question. Um, is there any research that shows which age media most impacts children uh, slash adolescents? Uh, so, Bridget, I'm gonna turn that over to you. Okay. 
Yeah. Um, we might have to bring Yalda back in here for. Uh, <laughs> well, Yalda will actually be the best person to answer this. But I'll, say, <laughs> I'll say that both children and adolescents, so across the entire spectrum, there's lots of evidence that media in different formats. You know, obviously, it it depends on the age of the child and and um, exactly uh, what developmental stage they're at. But there's lots of uh, lots of data to show that across the developmental spectrum, media plays a really important role. And I mean, media plays a really critical role as adults as well. Like George, you're talking about the unbreakable chasm of sadness. Like it's that's intense, and that's probably affecting you. No, <laughs> you I, was, I, was, I was like, I just want to curl up in a fetal ball, you know, in the dark. And so I'm like looking at my kids, going, you know, what are they feeling? Yeah, which is why yeah. I was like, was that too much? Because yeah, it, it was really profound for me. So you know, I can't imagine what you know my little kids are going through either. But. And it's not like maybe they're maybe they're not affected by it as much as you because they they probably haven't had as much sadness in their life as you have hopefully because you're older and you've been through more, mm -hmm. um, and so I think you know certainly the things that affect us at different stages of our lives. Um, really depend on our memories, our past experiences, but certainly media is really critical for for all stages of development. It's a really effective tool at getting messages across. As you know, I'm preaching to the choir here. You obviously know this, um, but certainly childhood and adolescence is a, a really prime time for um, the messages that are in these these this media to kind of sink in for, for kids. So, following up on that, uh, so Justine Pearl, is there an age range that you try to target or is it just you know just project by project basis or you're just looking at story and um you know i uh I, there's there's not really i think it is projects of projects for sure you know i and um i i think that i i think that there's a timelessness um for our first two films where they just feel so classic in some ways that they're truly family entertainment you know i will say that it does seem to get a little inside inside baseball again, like I, I it does seem like animation is now starting to trend towards more edgy topics, um, more edgy um, content, all of that stuff. And you know, like you know, we we like to we like to grow with the industry and the way the industry is growing. So, yeah, I, I mean, like I, but looking at the slate, the one thing about the Pearl slate is that you know, I, I don't, uh, I, I think that every project really is its own ecosystem you know and there are some that are quite edgy and you know potentially might you know feel more pg-12 you know and there are some that are very classic as well and you know are some even potentially even homages to you know the stuff that we grew up with so you know like it's 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 a mixed bag basically yeah hi listeners we hope that you are enjoying this episode of the scholars and storytellers podcast if you like what you're hearing please rate and review us and share it with your friends your support is greatly appreciated. Now, back to the conversation. Our next question, are there any special considerations that we should take when developing or writing children's media? Should we even take any special considerations? And I think this goes back to what you were saying, Justinian, about not talking mm. to the audience. You know? Yes. Yeah, just treating them as, yeah, as, as people. Mm -hmm. as, yeah. An audience, period. Yeah, pretty much. Yes, I, I would say... Yeah, and you know, um, you know, also just I, I don't know, I, I, I like like this is just elaborating what I said earlier. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I, you, you have to, you have to try to tell yourself, wow, someone in this audience might be the next Kamala, right? Or you know, 
you know, like there, there's, it's sort of a gift to be given this platform where you're speaking to a generation of um, adolescents and kids, you know? So just, uh, it's, it's something I, you know, I take very seriously for sure. And I'm very chuffed (laughs) that I'm given this opportunity (laughs) as well, for sure. So we're just saying, a kid from San Gabriel Valley. Right. So what you're saying is no, there's no fart joke or poop joke quota at Pearl Studios in Valley. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. There are studios you do have, but just okay, yeah, you know, I, and the, but you know, like one thing is that it seems like there's uh, for a while there, and I'm starting to see it change now. But for a long time, uh, and there there was a lot of cynicism in American media in general. Right. And I feel like now we all just want to hope and we all just want to heal and we all just want to, you know, look forward. And I, I hope that, you know, people in my business are will will ride that wave because I personally want to make stuff that is just empowering and hopeful. And, you know, it's, um, you know, like, yes, it's it's true. Over the moon is incredibly sad the, 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 in some ways. And uh, but at the same time, I think it's equal parts incredibly um, soul reviving mm. in a way. You know, like I, I think that um, as Audrey said once, you know, um, she when she was talking about what she thought the thesis of this movie was, was that, you know, the people we love may not be immortal, but the love we have with them is eternal. And that's beautiful. What a great way to put it, you know, that that love, that the way that you love someone is is truly eternal. It will go on forever. You know, it's something that just cannot be destroyed. So, um, yeah, that's (laughs) that's my take on it. It's a perfect segue to the next question, because, yeah, those, you know, love, you know, those emotions are very universal. But I mean, so how has the response been to the movie? from uh, children in different countries. How do they respond to different concepts, you know, uh, to the content, even though, yeah, you know, um, yeah, there were a lot of, uh, you know, like the idea of the mooncakes and the mooncake festival, even though, yeah, I'm Chinese, I completely understand what's going on there, but is, do, you know, does that affect storytelling in other parts of the world where they're all scratching their heads? Wait, what do they do? Sure. You know, yeah. Yeah, well, you know, I, it, well, one thing is like, um, you know, like uh, it's it's always very useful to, there are certain things that all kids laugh at. They love physical humor, right? <laughs> they they also love seeing the authority figure be shamed a little bit, you know? <laughs> like, I, I, one of my, one of the parts I always laugh at over the moon is when the frog jumps on the goddess's face. It's so hard. <laughs> uh, it always cracks me up, you know, and uh, it's, you know, I, uh, I actually just forgot the question. What was it again? Uh, so the idea, like, do children in different countries respond differently to the content? You know, did you find- I think, honestly, I, you know, from what I've observed, and I've actually sat in test audiences in multiple countries, I think that kids are, I, I, I think that, uh, I think that by the time we're adults, we might think we're very different from each other. But honestly, I think that kids everywhere are very similar, you know, and, they find the they find the same things hopeful. They find the same things funny, mm-hmm. especially fart jokes. And you know, like a, that's something that's universally funny. <laughs> so no, I'm, I I would say some things are a little different. You know, um, there is uh, you know there is in in Asian societies there tends to be 
um, a stronger emphasis on the on the community. And in Western societies, especially America, there tends to be a focus on the individual. So like, you know, like it's, it's, it, there's ways that you can finesse that, that, you know, a kid in Korea versus a kid in Britain watching a movie can find similar, you know, similar thematic things that really touch them. But obviously it is once again, finessing for sure. Okay. Yeah. Um, so similarly, Bridget, you know, are there, you know, uh, adjustments you have to make in your studies, you know, if you're like, mm -hmm. you know, at cases or children who come from different backgrounds, you know, whether it's even different countries or different socioeconomic profiles or, you know, or, or is there basic universalities and sort of like grief and loss and trauma, you know, that um, exhibit the same way? Yeah, I mean, there's both, um, you know, just exactly as Justinian said, you know, there are there are certain universalities, like the parent-child relationship is important in all cultures, everywhere across the world, all across time, that is, you know, something really, really core. It's, I mean, it's core to mammals, not just humans, right. but you know, that parent-child relationship is, is really critical. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, that's one of the reasons I study it is because it really cuts across cultures. But, you know, we do need to be really careful in the in the lab in terms of the questions that we ask and the way that we study the parent-child relationship, you know. Um, how parents care for their children looks very different across cultures. Um, and so it's important, you know, being a Westerner to not bring that Western, you know, perspective to everything that we do and to not say, like, this is what, a, you know, a really caring, sensitive parent looks like. And then yeah. like, well, no, none of these other cultures are, are doing that same thing because, of course, you know, there's huge variability in, in what that looks like and, and how parents show their care. And it's, it's totally. not, certainly not always looking the same way. So I think it's really great to have um, cross studios and, and, and these uh, portrayals that are really very clear portrayals of, of children in different cultures and that American kids, Australian kids, you know, play people in different parts of the world can see how, you know, grief is experienced in different ways across cultures. They can understand what mooncakes are and learn about the goddess and, you know, uh, those are really critical things. Um, so I think it's, it's really fantastic. That's great. Yeah. So I should not ask the follow-up questions of which culture wins? Which, which, who are the best parents? Two Chinese. <laughs> so, all right. Um, next question. Uh, do you think kids today are smarter consumers of media and film being digital natives? Does this change how you have to develop stories? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a it, it, that's a great question because, yeah, I know, you know, my kids have probably consumed more content at the age of five than I had by the time I was yeah. crazy. So, yeah, they've seen so much more stuff than, you know, I ever was able to watch as a kid. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, you know, how does, you know, hey, Bridget, how does that, do you, are you seeing, does that affect the development? You know, um, and, you know, Justinian, do you have to make adjustments knowing, oh, well, yeah, they've probably watched all the Disney stuff. They know these tropes. You know, mm -hmm. do we have to be fresh, you know? Yeah. I'll, th I'll throw it to Justinian first. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, well, I would say that obviously, <clears throat> I mean, like, we always want to, I, I, in many ways, most of like, I don't want to say all and every animated movie has been told before, like, but you know, like, I think that I think the idea of the freshness part of it, which, which I'll talk about is that I feel like it's, it's a matter of 
for me, it's, it's I, I think the way you can be fresh is that you talk head on eye to eye with with a young audience that you don't that you don't talk down to them and also that you keep your values current you know like there are movies that we all grew up there are child there are movies we all grew up with as children where you know maybe the messaging isn't entirely um empowering you know um you you think about um older movies where you know you know, like it's it's the 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 protagonist is very unapproachable. You know, like because they're royalty. You know, like I, I think at Pearl, what what we really wanted to do with our um with our movies um was create a new brand of quote unquote princess. The thing, of course, is that Yi and Fei Fei, um, our protagonists in our movies, neither of them are royalty. You know, they're instead incredibly um, strong willed. Um, independent, remarkable young women, you know, and I, I feel like that's how you keep it fresh. Because actually, if you go back 10, 15 years, that wasn't always the case for a lot of these um, in this genre of media. Yeah. Nope, that's true. Yeah, I agree. And I, th I feel like, you know, certainly the things that I grew up on were, were super limited. Um, and I think children are, are much more discerning um, consumers now and they want to see yeah. themselves represented on, on film. They want to hear stories that are varied and different. And so, you know, while some of the themes that are coming up might be the same, um, whether it's parental loss or, or triumph in some way, um, that the ways that those stories are told and the people who are included in the telling of those stories uh, varies across the movies. And I think that's really important. And, and if, if we don't do that, then, then kids are going to stop watching. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, so unfortunately, we are, all, we are nearly out of time. So we'll just end with one last question. Uh, so personally, for each of you, what were your favorite movies as kids? And do you think those movies affected, you know, sort of your worldview as an adult were they important in your development as a as a per the person you are now yeah i'll dive in because I, yes, uh, I that question comes up i know exactly what it is and mine um was fern gully loved that movie and i remember seeing it i it's it had such a strong impact on me because i you know you, you remember where where you were when you first saw it and, and some of the conversations that you had with your friends afterwards. So I was at my school and we were in the library. It must have been a rainy day and we were shown the film and um, and I loved it and it had a huge impact on me. I still, um, anytime my husband is brushing his teeth and he leaves the tap on, I like rush in there and turn the tap off. And, like, <laughs> <laughs> and every time I do that, I think of Fern Gully and you know, I think those are really important messages to to give to kids. So, so that's mine. I'm interested in hearing what yours is, Justinian. I, I love the Goonies. That was like my favorite. I love the Goonies, obviously because there was representation. You know, like Short Rounds from Indiana Jones was in it, which was awesome. Um, but I also just I I don't know. I just I, I I love I love adventure movies with crazy with crazy set pieces. What can I say? I still do. Um, <laughs> Yeah, for sure. And probably a, a second place to, to choose an animated movie. I always loved The Fox and the Hound because I was a very emo kid. And that's one of the few animated movies that doesn't sugarcoat the ending, you know, and it had a very profound, beautiful ending where they don't end up being best friends. They end up 
you know, accepting who they are and parting ways. And he was, but still, you know, but still at the end, he saves his life. And yeah, it's, it's just, I, I still get goosebumps about it. I love that movie. And yeah, for sure. <laughs> now you see why I developed movies like Over the Moon, George. All right. <laughs> Makes it, yeah, no, it, yep. It makes awesome. Pause effect there that you can trace. So. Nice. So, all right. Um, well, sadly, we are out of time. Uh, so I'm going to bring Michelle back up uh, for some final last words. Thank you for that great conversation. I, I learned so much and I wish we could keep going so that I could listen to you all night. But I just really want to thank everyone for attending. I want to thank the Center for Scholars and Storytellers and Dr. Yalda T. Wools, Pearl Studio and Justinian Huang, Professor George Huang, Dr. Bridget Callahan, um, behind the scenes, my right hand, Jess Jew, as well as Jenna Signorelli from Center for Scholars and Storytellers. We also have a survey, if you could please fill that out, that helps with our grants and that also just helps keep programs like this free. Also, if you are willing, we, I know that uh, if you're willing and able, yesterday was Giving Tuesday, if you are able to donate to both CAPE and the Center for Scholars and Storytellers. We have the information down below. And George, CAPE is no longer a membership organization, so there are no dues. So you're off oh. there. Yay! <laughs> I'll still write a check, though. I'll, I'll cut a check tonight. <laughs> so, so appreciate your, your participation today, all of you. And thank you very much for, for tuning in. That concludes this episode of the Scholars and Storytellers podcast. A very special thanks to CAPE and to our wonderful guests, Justinian Huang and Dr. Bridget Callahan, and our moderator, George Huang. If you have a minute, rate and review us. And if you have any friends who you think would like the show, share it with them. If you are interested in learning more about our work, please visit us at scholarsandstorytellers.com and follow our social media accounts by searching Center for Scholars and Storytellers. This podcast was produced by the Center for Scholars and Storytellers, with special thanks to Jim Ools for creating the intro music, the UCLA Film School, Near Liebenthal, and Annie Myers. Goodbye for now, and thank you for listening.